Anyway, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to drive you guys nuts today, but this is going to be a little bit more of a technical work. This is not going to be preachy. This is going to be lectoral, maybe. Okay. And go and find Isaiah 65 before we get going. Now, if, you, if you're thumbing through the Old Testament and you hit Jeremiah, stop. Go back one book. You know, I, J, Isaiah, Jer- it's not alphabetical, okay? <laughs> Wish it were. Boy, that would be really great. So any of you who have been around me enough know that I tend to kind of listen to what people are talking about, things that they bring up, and sometimes, too, I want to kind of trigger in my mind something that might be said that's kind of like, huh? Like a question or, I don't know, where is that in Scripture? Something where they're trying to say it's biblical and you're trying to find it and you're going, it's just, it's not logical. It doesn't make biblical sense. So it kind of triggers me to kind of go digging deeper. Well, I did get a chance to do that. I heard someone made a comment, and I was still very confused going, I've never heard this before. And if some of you thought this, don't worry, we'll get fixed up today. But there was this mindset somewhere that somebody was teaching or someone picked up and thought it was true, and that's dangerous, right? If you believe something, but you don't have the biblical structure behind it, you're just following along. I mean, it's like the people today go, well, I know it's true because I read it on the internet. Mm, serious. Yeah, it's really true. <laughs> like, wow. Have you ever heard of false? Whatever. So anyway, what I heard was the fact that in the millennial kingdom, a non-believer will have a hundred years to be saved and that's it. And I was like, Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I was a, where do you get that? Now, that was, that was even more of a workout to try to go through the Bible going, where do you come up with this idea? Well, you go to Isaiah chapter 65, okay? It's verse 20 that they get this concept. Now, understand, too, that you have to think in your mind biblically to sit and realize that if one single tiny verse in the whole of Scripture goes left turn on you, well, then you've got the verse wrong. Don't sit there and take your whole theology out of one verse. If the Scriptures as a whole do not support it, then first of all, throw it out, not out of the Bible, but throw it out of your thinking and then do some study and dig deeper. Because probably what you're thinking isn't even close. But if you take a look at this verse, especially if you're reading it in King James, okay, you're going to probably come up with that odd conclusion. But let's spend some time with it. So Isaiah, verse 65, verse 20. I know, I'm right in the middle of a book, right? That's always dangerous. So, verse 20, out of New American Standard. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Okay, 
but really is you got a hundred years in the millennium to to be saved, and if not, you're out of the, out of the pool, kind of thing. No, no. So again, when you're in Scripture, hold the context. You know what it's like when when you get something out of context. Not to be, my wife and I enjoy. Well, she enjoys the Hallmark movies. I some of them. Okay. What is some of the normal themes that they go through in a Hallmark movie? If you're not a Hallmark fan, you'll just go with me on this. If you are, I'm not going to insult you, I hope. But what is the one thing that they always, somewhere that makes the big turn between the lovers? You know, the two, they're, they're coming together and it's very, and you think, they're the couple. And then there's this one time where you goes, and she's gone, he's gone, whatever. What is it? Misunderstanding. It is so classic. Here it comes, you know. You know it's going to come. You're just waiting for the turn. Like, okay, you guys are watching Hallmark too. I got it. Of course, Jean is so mad at me. She goes, just watch the movie. It's just a movie. I'm going, yeah, but it's stupid, you know. <laughs> well, do the same thing in Scripture, okay? Watch for it to come. No. 20, you got to understand the context. What's happening? What's the time? What's the event? you got to be very careful. In and by of itself, this verse comes off strange in itself, right? You're like, old age, 100, we don't see that today. A young person dies at 100 is really abnormal. That We don't see that today. I mean, none of this stuff makes sense, so it's, you're going, you should be coming back going, the time periods, what is it? What are we talking about? Well, what is going on? And what's occurring in 65? Now, I'd recommend you go a lot further back in Isaiah, but at least get some of the context around. You might start coming up and going, oh, that's not even a thing. So we're not going to go through all of 65. I just want to kind of give you some, some taste. This chapter starts in a response to a preceding prayer of Isaiah, now notice, you're having to go back to Isaiah 63, starting at verse 7, all the way through 64, 12. That's the prayer, that's the question, that's, that's the discussion that Isaiah is making, and he's asking God, why have you turned from us? Why have you turned your back? Why are you not caring for us? Why are you not upholding us? Why? It feels like you've left, Okay. In verse 1 of 65 is now God's response to that prayer in question. Verse 1 of 65. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I. To a nation that was not called by my name. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. So what, what's going to be happening? So that's set your, set your mind in Isaiah 65 going, 100 years, old person, new person. Wait a minute, okay, so the context is not set yet. The Lord was ready to hear the broken heart of the true-seeking believers, but their hearts were cold and disobedient. Continue on verses 2 and 3. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their 
own devices. Of people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. What? These are, these are people who, his own people, Israel, want it their way and then wonder why God is not even responding to them. See, it's not the Lord who's turned, it's his people. They did it their way, they disregarded God's commands, and they did it with the defiance of being in God's face alone. Verse 2 details the fact that they did not sacrifice where and on what they were commanded. Now, now you ask the question, well, where were they supposed to do the sacrifices? In the garden? Where? The temple, okay? On bricks that you piled up on your own to do your own thing, to kind of set it up to make it convenient so you don't have to go all the way up to the temple, but you can have it maybe in the backyard, right? Something convenient? Where are they supposed to have the sacrifices? Where are they supposed to be performed? On the altar in the temple. They didn't do this because I didn't know. They did it because I know I want to do it my way. I don't care what God says. But yet they're still asking the question, well, where are you? Why aren't you taking care of us? Continuing through the fifth verse, there are countless details of their disobedience. As you keep reading, you're just going, well, what are you guys thinking? Verse 6 and 7, the Lord declares a sure judgment. And then the judgment and dest- destruction will not be the whole nation, but the ungodly. Look at verses 8 and 9. Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, they say, Do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, from Judah, possessors of my own nations. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Interesting. Again, so you're talking about the disobedience of Israel, but yet God is still moving forward with a kingdom plan. There is a kingdom coming, but the rebellious ones are not going to be part of it. But God is still going to hold, as we've said before, a remnant. So those who remain faithful and obedient to the Lord, there is a day coming where God will destroy the old and replace all with new heavens and a new earth. Now move to verse 17 as we get closer to our verse in question. Verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. There is a future kingdom coming. And the far-reaching new kingdom is the new heavens and the new earth, yet there will be an intermediate kingdom on earth where Christ will reign for a thousand years. Now, these verses start with the ultimate kingdom and will then highlight the millennial kingdom. So if you take a look at the the context from 17 down through, you have the full final goal is what? Eternity and the true ultimate kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. And you think about what's been occurring at 
what's really going to be going on as we go further. But when you look at 20, it starts to make sense because any of this stuff, can you see anybody living more than 100 years and to be living 100 years is treated as a child? Do you see that today? No. Okay. Does Isaiah see it as his day? No. Now, go way further. He just brought up the fact of the new kingdom, the new, the new heavens and the new earth, right? That's the, not the intermediate state, that's the ultimate. That's in heaven. So do you see this occurring in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth? You're looking at me like, I don't know, would you hurry up and tell me because I'm confused. <laughs> no. So there's another time period that this is true, that this occurs. Well, he just gave us the overall goal, but what's in between? Now, here comes the fun part. It's the temporal kingdom in the middle. It's the temporal kingdom. Long life will exist, yet there will still be death, but it will not be as we see it today. It will be common for an old man to be 100 plus and infinite mortality, it's not going to be. Unlike Isaiah's time, if you think about it too, the infant mortality rate was extremely high, not only for Isaiah's time, but the same thing with Jesus' time. There are a lot of children that didn't survive. But Christ will rule on the earth and his judgments will be swift. So if a young man is judged by Christ and put to death at 100, this will highlight the judgment of Christ and his dealing with sinners in the kingdom, on earth. The death at such a young age points to Christ's judgment. Revelation 22.3 says, The curse will be reversed in the millennium, but it will not be... Sorry, this is not a quote from Revelation 22.3. This is pointing to it. This is a quote from a theologian. The curse will be... Sorry. The curse will be... Reversed in the millennium, but it will not be removed until the eternal state in Revelation 22.3. Sorry, I got that sideways. In other words, if someone dies at 100, then it will be by Christ's judgment. To be more than 100 will not be old age as we see today, but like a young person. You see how the balance works here? How the context fits? If a young person dies at 100, the suspect attitude will be... That must have been Christ's judgment immediately. But it doesn't mean that just because someone dies at 100, check, that's it. They could be at 200 and still be under Christ's judgment. But judgment will be immediate. It's just trying to give you the offset to say it's going to be an abnormal time than what you and I are used to today. If you're 100 and you're classified as young, <laughs> can you picture that? 100, just a kid. Really? But he's 900. Wow. You know, we look at that today and go, I, no. I but you think about what's been going on. Prior to Christ coming on the earth and the millennial kingdom, think about what's happened. What's just happened. It's the seven years of tribulation. Has creation gone through a morphing with everything going on. I mean, if you've read through and understood everything that happens in those seven years plus the final part, you've got kind of a cataclysmic event going on. 
There's all kinds of stuff coming out of heaven. There's all kinds of fire coming out of heaven. So the earth is going through a minor modification. Well, actually, it's a major modification. And then when you move into the millennial kingdom, there's even more modification. But you're also going to have something towards things are set up. You're going to have a time where Christ is ruling on the earth in Jerusalem. And the communion and the time we will have with Christ will be open. Actually, not us. It's those who come through the tribulation into the millennial kingdom as believers. One theologian put it this way. Sorry, did I just confuse the goof right out of you? (laughs) I'll try to correct. This passage proves that the better age to come on earth, though much superior to the present, true, will not be a perfect state. Sin and death shall have place in it, but much less frequently than it does now. So the remaining verses in chapter 65 go on to describe life in the temporal kingdom, yet looking forward to the eternal state. So keep again in mind of the context. Yes, he does talk about the new heavens and the new earth, but he also breaks it down. Now, how do we get that? I know I've thrown a lot at you, right? Anybody bewildered and dazed and going, now I have a headache, thanks a lot? Why didn't I stay home today? You know, those kind of things. Understanding the context and the time in Isaiah 65-60 is critical to understand the age issue. But now we're pressed with a deeper study. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me say clearly that this will not be a deep study, okay? Because if we're going to do a deep study, Debbie, you can communicate. Joe's going to have to go on sabbatical again. It's going to take us months to even break this all down. The number of scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament is overwhelming. So, quick question. What is the millennium? And are there different views? Okay, you noticed I'm not going to go deep in this because you realize how long this is going to take? I'll give you some hints of what you can do in your own study. First, we need to see what's occurring in the book of Revelation as chronological events, okay? That's key. Revelation chapter 19 ends with the great battle and God's judgment against Satan and all who rebelled against him. It's a bloodbath. If you've ever read that, you go, oh. It's also the time when those that followed Satan's deception are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, go to Revelation chapter 19. Spend the rest of our time in Revelation. Believe it or not, if you don't panic, Revelation is an amazing book to read. You also understand, too, that in the beginning of Revelation, it says anybody who studies this, reads this, is blessed. So don't run from the book of Revelation. It's a beautiful time. For us as Christians, it really sums up what? God won. That's what it means. All right, verse 19 of Revelation 19. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Verse 20. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophets who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of this who was sitting on the horse and all the birds 
were gorging with their flesh. And that's the part that kind of gets, okay. So we are talking about moving now into the millennial reign or the millennial kingdom, or better known as the thousand-year reign. You know, understand what millennium means? I know it's technical. You ready for this? Hang on. Make notes. Millennium means 1,000. Ooh. And it's Latin. Ooh. Does it mean anything else? No, it means 1,000. That's it. So, again, it's a fixed number. Revelation 20, verses 1 and 3. Now, this is where we start moving. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, now you've got time period, who is the devil, got another name for him, Satan, another name, and bound him for a thousand years. And they threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Now let's go back to Joe's message this morning. Any of the verses that he read kind of make you go, Satan bound? No. What did Peter warn? The deceiver is going to take people apart. The battle. What about Ananias and Sapphira? What was the accusation against them? Why has Satan deceived you, entered your heart, turned you. That's post-cross. That's the apostolic period. Is Satan bound there? No. Is Satan bound now? No. Really? All right. Now we're going to start looking at some things. Now when we move into Revelation 21, you're now in the eternal state. So you have 19... Tribulation, actually, all the way from 17 to 19 is tribulation. You've got end of tribulation 20. Now you've got the millennial kingdom. But again, these are summaries. These are not details. If you want to detail about what's going to occur and what's happening in the millennial kingdom, you've got to go through the large amount of verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And 21, we move into the eternal state. That's what we're aiming for anyway, right? We're going to be home with Jesus there. No sin, no pain, nothing. But millennial kingdom, you do have people that are going to be born. They're going to be sinners. They're going to have a direct access to Jesus and hear the gospel as clear as you could ever understand it, and they have the opportunity to receive Christ. But if you go too far off course, there is the warning in 20 in Isaiah that says what? You could be struck down. I mean, that's not a, that's not a foreign thing in your thinking, is it? Because... Paul to the Corinthians says that because of your disobedience and the way you've been treating the table, there are some of you who have fallen asleep. What's that mean? They've died. Why? Out of judgment to remove them. Now, just because someone dies young does not necessarily mean that God was stricken them, but we don't know that, but it's a possibility. So the millennium, what views do you have? Now, this is going to be rapid, so let's do it, okay? There are three views. Amillennialism, and I'm going to have trouble saying some of these. Post-millennialism and pre-millennialism. 
In other words, based on what's going on in the millennium, maybe. Now, we're only going to go through highlights, but what I'm going to give you is just some systematic theology definitions of each one of the periods, and I'll make some comments, but it'll give you an idea of what each one of these views are and whether or not you're going to even want to get near one of them. But I'll even tell you where Lakeside stands. Don't panic. Okay. Amillennialism asserts that the millennium of Revelation 20 is being fulfilled spiritually in this present age. Between the two comings of Jesus, and has nothing to do with an actual thousand years, some millennialists believe that the millennium is being fulfilled as Jesus and perfected saints presently rule from heaven, and others believe that the kingdom reign involves the church on earth or the rule of God over the lives of believers. Some combine the two ideas. So it's really not anything about what God does, it's what the church does, okay? As one preacher said, things are going to stay the same. It's how it is, and it's just the way it is. And it's just going to be this way, and it'll keep being this way until Jesus comes. So that's all millennial. There is no millennium. There's no thousand-year reign. Things are just going to go as they do, and then all of a sudden, poof, Jesus. And now we're in, in the eternal state. Okay, I have a problem with that. That's real basic, okay? If you read through Revelation front to back and you get 19, 20, 21, what do you have? You have tribulation, you have millennium, and you have the eternal state. What's between 21 and 19? The millennium. It's not a surprise, it's there. So to sit there and say it doesn't exist, okay, well, let's move to the next. Postmillennialism. Jesus comes after the millennium. I don't get that one. I never have, but okay, be kind. Postmillennialism also claims that the millennium of Revelation 20, which is not viewed to mean 1,000 years, I don't know what it means, but whatever, occurs between the two comings of Jesus. Through the reign of Jesus from heaven... And the Holy Spirit, blessed gospel, the kingdom of God will start small, but will increasingly grow, get better, spread, and become the dominant influence in the world. Okay. Not only will most people be saved, but also all areas of society will be transformed. The world will experience a golden era of peace, prosperity, and blessing. We're heading that way, folks, remember? <laughs> After a long period of a largely Christianized world, the millennial kingdom will then lead to the return of Jesus from heaven. And at that time, Jesus will resurrect and judge all humanity, including both the righteous and the wicked. So in other words, everything's getting better. I don't know, the first thing in my head goes back to science and says the, the laws of entropy, right? The thermodynamic laws, the entropic law, says what? Everything goes from a higher order to a lower order. That's just the way the world's running, okay? I mean, you just look at it, you go, okay, 
let me play this so you understand what I'm saying. When you turn off the light switch, the light gets brighter. <laughs> no. Okay, next. You never, ever, 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 ever have to replace any of the tires on your car because they're getting better. Nothing's getting better. We're not getting better, okay? That's for another time. Premillennialism follows the clear, ah, notice the term, sequential chronology of John's apocalypse and asserts that the kingdom of Revelation 21 through 7 occurs on earth after the second coming of Jesus described in Revelation 19, 11 to 21. See, chronology, reading it straight through. See, God's not in the business of kind of going, I don't know, I'm just kind of whipping it up all over the place, throwing it all over the place, and guess what? You just figure it out on your own. No. It's chronological. You read through it, and it gives you all the sequence that you need. The reason this view is called premillennialism is because Jesus returns before the millennium. The millennium, therefore, is future and earthly. Revelation 20. So in summary, millennialists say there is... The amillennials say there is no kingdom, and this is all we got. The postmillennialists say things are going to get better, and we're going to be the ones doing it. The church is going to do it. We're going to take over the government. We're going to take over all the authority points. We're going to take over the colleges and universities and the educational system, and we're going to make this thing better. So when it's all done, and every, everything is working perfectly, and it's the utopia that we always wanted. We'll just hand it over to Jesus. Sounds kind of arrogant to me. It sounds very me. Look at what I've done. Notice for some reason, the gospel and our salvation has nothing to do about us because no one can boast. And by our work, we will usher in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Premillennialists say that things are going to get worse until Jesus comes. Are you seeing that in your lifetime? I mean, partly, <laughs> I almost envy what my dad experienced. I mean, he was born in 1912, and he experienced an awful lot, but nothing like what we're seeing today. I mean, it wasn't easy. World War I, World War II. What I think is kind of, kind of interesting, too, is that things are getting better. MacArthur came up with a point, and I've, I've never done the deep research, but he's kind of, kind, of, kind of a survey analysis of it, going, to be able to believe in post-millennialism, it works as long as you don't have a major world war. During the world war, he noticed in all the literature that was out there, the post-millennialists kind of disappeared. And then it pops back up. It's pretty much in America, too. Can you actually go to Croatia right now or any of those countries that are in, like, Syria and everything? Can you actually go to those people and do you realize everything's getting much better? Isn't this wonderful? You will get shot, okay? <laughs> so where is Lakeside? We believe and teach premillennial view and find great support in the scriptures to its end. You can support everything you say as a, as a premillennialist throughout all of Scripture. It fits in the whole text of Scripture. There's no miss. So how can there be other ways? I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It really comes down to the science of exegetical study. 
Let me just really quickly, because I don't want to labor this. We can get into this. Could be more months. Okay. How do you how do you exegete a passage? How do you understand the text of scripture? Well, literally, what we say is we look at the scripture as literal, historical, grammatical. Okay, what's that mean? Literal. Well, something simple. Beginning of Revelation, you have the seven churches, right? How many churches? Really, what does seven really mean? I mean, maybe it's not seven. Maybe it's something else. Did they write seven letters? I don't know. If seven churches don't mean seven churches, then the seven letters don't mean seven letters. And you don't have seven lampstands. You don't have that. Oh, and later on in Revelation, you have what? Twelve apostles. I don't know. What does that really mean? I mean, let's get it to figurative. What are we kind of playing with? Do you see if you start playing with any of the direct numbers, where's your rule? You go tell your math teacher that seven doesn't mean seven. I know they're trying to tell us that in that new math. I don't understand it. Seven is seven. If it means something else, it's a mess. It's like people, believe it or not, it's like people, a red light means what? Stop. There are some people that interpret it different, don't they? That's not a literal interpretation. I did it my way, right through the intersection, okay? So that's literal. So a thousand years means a thousand years. Is this basic, too basic? But do you, do you realize if you don't take the literal understanding of the scriptures, where's your key to, to go off of the definition? What are you going to do? I don't know. I don't think that's what it really says. I don't really care what you think it really says, but that's what it says. So that's where you start getting off into things. So a thousand years is a thousand years. Seven years is seven years. Seven, seven churches, seven churches, 12 apostles, 12 apostles, 12 judges, judged. Hello? One God. Okay. Also, literal is the exact chronology of the events recorded in the book of Revelation. That's literal. You take it literally. You go right through. You don't try to superimpose something on it that you... I mean, really, there's infinite direction you could play with this. So it's literal. John MacArthur, about the sequential, the chronology of the, the Bible, he says, this is the simple, clear chronology of the book of Revelation and certainly is an interpretive key. Whatever you're going to do with this kingdom, you have to deal with the, the chronology that is here in the book of Revelation. Historical. What do you do with historical? It has to stay in the historical context that it was written. It's going to be the historical time, the society, the culture, everything. That's the hard part about studying Scripture in an exegetical way because when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, what do you have to know? You have to know the history of Corinth. You have to understand the social situations in Corinth. You have to understand the events of the time with inside Corinth and around Corinth, the pressures, the sociological, political, everything to understand when Paul makes something, it's said in the context of history. So when you want to understand what he was dealing with and to whom was receiving it, so we can bring it into our day to understand it, you have to go back. Last piece. Grammatical. You and I know that words change over time in their meaning and their usage, correct? It's called etymology. 
Mom and I argued. She was an English teacher. We argued that one forever, but whatever. It's not what it means, Mom. That is what it means now. Huh? Grammatical. You take it in the grammatical context that it was given. So when Paul was making statements to a church, an area, Ephesus, you take the use of the word at that time, understand it deeply in its grammatical use, and then you have to bring it forward into our time so we can apply it. That's exegesis, okay? Now, I understand it. This was like high-speed, two-rush, went over, high-balled, high everything on the... just drove you nuts. Hopefully you're not dizzy. Just, uh, just to make the point, Isaiah 65.20 is not talking about being 100 years, you got 100 years to receive Jesus. It's talking about you're 100, you're young. You're in your 900s, whoa. You might be old, okay? But if you're going to be accursed, as it said, then that's going to be the abnormal. Because that means Jesus is judging in the millennial kingdom right there. You know, there, there are many good books that deal with all these subjects. But I'll, I'll do something easy for you. I know probably some of you aren't the high-speed readers, that I'm, I'm definitely not a high-speed reader. My wife is a high-speed reader. The brown cow, I'm, I'm kind of like that. I'm slow. Here's a sermon series to go with. And again, check the context, check the text, read the text, understand the text. Don't just because someone preaches it to you, you take it and you go, fine. That's the same statement as you saying, well, I read it on the internet, it's got to be true. Okay? I heard it in a sermon, it's got to be true. Stop. It may not be, but you don't know it, and it's, what are we supposed to be? Good Bereans. What did the Bereans do when Paul was, was preaching? They took everything that he preached, took it back, and went, oh, where are we going to go? He said and quoted... And I'm checking it. Why? Because if they're going to believe what he says, it better be out of God's word, nowhere else. Man's word means nothing. It saves no one. So a good series to read and listen concerning this subject is John MacArthur, and there's others that do it, but this one was one that's just replete with detail and you might overload, but you can slow it, stop, and repeat, okay? It's Grace to You, GTY, and it's entitled The Coming Earthly Kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a multi-part series. And again, as with any teaching, examine the scriptures to know whether it be true. Don't assume it. Don't walk down the road going, oh, so-and-so said it. I don't care that Joe said it, but if God said it, then I'm, I have to obey it. If Joe or Steve said it, do I have to obey it? No. If it's based on the word, you bet your life I got to obey it because God said it. It was the preacher who gave me the word to be obedient to it, but not the preacher's word. Oh, what about that preacher that, that he did that did what, a 20 minute sermon on the China balloon? 
I feel sorry for those people that wasted 20 minutes of their life sitting there in a church where they should have been fed by the word, but they were fed by gunk, nothing. Know what you believe. Know the scriptures. If the millennium, all millennial, all that kind of stuff is a new thing for you, go through this series and dig and write. You can, first sermon, you can print it out. They transcribe them all. You can make notes, scribe all over the place. And if something comes up and you go, huh? Well, then make a note and call one of us elders and go, can you explain this to me? Love to, love to. Let's get into the text of Scripture. So Isaiah 65, 20, it's not talking about termination of non-believers and you've got only 100 years to do it. It means it's going to be an amazing time period in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. It's not going to be the permanent state, the eternal state, but it's going to be a whole lot better coming out of the tribulation. So let's pray. God, what a rapid fire we did this morning. I mean, talk about a list of subjects that I know to you this is part of the plan. But it's beautiful to actually be able to take Scripture that may, in its separated context, seems most strange, and you definitely come off with interesting interpretations, but God, help us to be students of the Word, Keep the context very close that we would understand the whole of Scripture. If it doesn't fit in the, the total plan that you're laying out before us in the, in the Word, then it just doesn't fit. It just, it's wrong. God, for the, the time in front of us that we know we've got the millennium, but help us to also to be kind and, and caring of those around. If, if we do have a friend that's non-millennials, and there are a lot out there, This is not a salvific issue. This is just a time where we just pray for them. Explain the scriptures. Encourage them to keep studying the word. And hopefully study the word in a chronological way, not in some kind of random study or to make it fit our own personal opinions. God, just help us to be mindful of the world we live in. (laughs) We can see that it's definitely not getting better. And it's definitely not just as it was. It's just getting worse, and we know it. And that's what we believe. That's what we see. That's what you've shown us. But God, help us to be mindful in the, in the response that we have to all these things, that we are consistent in, in the text of Scripture, consistent in the Word, continually growing, faithful to, to proclaiming the gospel to all people. Help us to be the voice that brings the Word to those who have never heard it. God, be open in the hearts of those who know you not. We know that you do the work in their heart. There's nothing we can do. All we can do is present the word, present the gospel. God, we do love you, and we so anticipate the day that we will be in the eternal state. We will be home with you, and this will all be done. What a time of anticipation to be in heaven, to be doing what we should have been doing at the creation. God, the excitement that we have is just mind-boggling. And I can see why Paul says, <laughs> to me to die and is just great gain. It's just amazing. It helps to be mindful of the ground that we stand on, that we have those that are around us that do not even know you. Help us to be those who preach the word with love and care.
We love you. In Jesus, amen.